1: Rachel Hampton
2: and I'm Candace Lim and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture.
1: And hello ICYMI friends, it's me. Back from the sabbatical grave, just for y'all. I'm the ghost of Christmas past. If you've guessed by the title of this episode, we have introduced a new yearly tradition. If you're anything like us, you've probably completely forgotten what you ate for breakfast two days ago, let alone what happened on the internet at the top of 2023, to give you a little refresher, to remind you of what we all have collectively been through. We're running through our top internet moments of the year. But before we get to that, I would actually like to take a look back at the pop culture moments of the year that have haunted, delighted, or mesmerized us. So, Candace, do you have a moment that comes to mind?
2: Yes. So, Rachel, jump mm-hmm. back in the time machine with me to March 2023, because the moment I am still mad about is Austin Butler losing the Oscar for Best Actor. And so let's skip to Oscar night. Austin's category is being called Angela Bassett, who just lost the Oscar to Jamie Lee Curtis. She is tightly gripping Austin's hand. She's saying, baby, you got this. And then
0: we hear this.
2: And the Oscar goes to... Brendan Fraser. The whale! It doesn't matter that no one likes the whale. People love Brendan Fraser. And... I should have known that someone as young as Austin was not going to win the Oscar at 31. You know, there's a reason why Leo DiCaprio did not win until, like, his eighth millionth nomination. And it's because these are career Oscars. They're not performance wins. Plus, I just think more actors probably see themselves in Brendan, who really had peaks and valleys in order to get here. Whereas Austin... (sighs) He he will always be a star in my heart since his Zoe 101 days. Wow. So, you know, I took that personally. And that is my moment. Austin, I hope you are in a safe space, in a padded room, when Jacob Elordi wins for Best Supporting Actor for his role as Elvis in Priscilla. Because I get it. I get it.
1: That's fair. That's really fair. I do feel like it is so hard for Austin Butler to have lost that the year before Priscilla comes out and everyone is immediately comparing his performance, Jacob Elordi. And I haven't seen Priscilla. I haven't seen Elvis. I'm basing it purely off the trailers. I'm sorry. Jacob Elordi blends. (laughs) Like, I know they're different movies. I know they're different performances, but I just feel like I get it more with Jacob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
2: No, I unfortunately think that is how it's gonna go. But Rachel, we move to you. What is the 2023 pop culture moment that you are still thinking about to this day?
1: Okay, I had to dig deep for this because I have the cultural memory of a goldfish. Like I almost picked the Don't Worry Darling drama and then (laughs) I had to recalibrate because that was in 2022. Can you believe that was a whole year ago? So I had to think back. I had to wonder what was going on in my little head and as I often do when I'm wondering what I was doing at any given time I scrolled back through my Twitter feed and I was like what was I tweeting at this time and I think mine is the succession finale or maybe just the whole final succession season famously Mm -hmm. I didn't watch the show until spoiler alert the episode where Logan Roy played by Brian Cox (laughs) died. (laughs)
2: And you're like, I'm in, finally he's gone.
1: No, I. when I <laughs> tell you everyone on my Twitter timeline was screeching about it and I had this intense case of FOMO. And I was like, right. I want to be involved. Everyone's talking about this. Everyone's having so much fun. And so I was like, you know what? What if I binged all four seasons of Succession so I could be caught up before the finale, so I could mm-hmm. watch the finale with everyone, you know? It felt yes. like an achievable goal. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. It's mm-hmm. just such a great show. Everyone clocked in from Jeremy Strong and Kieran Culkin and Sarah Stunk all the way down to Juliana Canfield who plays Kinder Wars assistant Jess Jordan. Like... Everyone's on their P's and Q's, you know, I know these people, any combination of them will also
2: probably be winning the Emmys Mm -hmm. this year because Succession, how can they not wipe the floor? But Rachel, I think you made a choice that I would have made as well. So I'm
1: proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. And the thing is, along with like infinite memes and a whole discourse cycle on quiet luxury, this show also is producing, as you're mentioning, one of the most contentious Emmy nomination slates that we will see play out in January. Because the thing is, Brian Cox submitted himself for lead actor in a dramatic series, even though he was only in three episodes of this season, which is quite honestly one of the most Logan Roy things he could ever do. Everyone's talking about Jeremy Strong being method. It's actually Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the
2: thing. Even though I think Kieran or Jeremy Kieran should win. Kieran should win. It. It's his
1: year. Right. It was one of the last real communal television show experiences that we had, you know, before the strikes, before Twitter really went down the drain, before everything kind of went a little sideways pop culturally. And honestly, take me back. I mm. miss it.
2: Yeah. And luckily for you, Rachel, we are staying in the past today, mm. because as promised, we are here today to recap the five biggest internet moments of this year. Full disclosure, this is not an exact ranking, but more mm-hmm. of a brain trust between Rachel and I rounding up the moments that we thought defined this year online. And we're going to start with a certain submersible vehicle that had all of us greeting with faded breath after the break. Hey, listeners, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Saturdays when we brought on Bomani Jones and Tamara Griffin to talk about the Internet's biggest sports moments of the year. And we're back. Rachel, I think you're queuing us up first. What do you have?
1: Okay, I'm going to be honest. This is a really hard process. Once again, I have the memory of a goldfish. And there were so many options this year to choose from. Colleen Ballinger performing an apology song with the mm. ukulele. The Sheehan Influencer Factory Tour. Ozempic. Barbie. The Renaissance Tour the orca revenge tour on humanity. (laughs) But I finally narrowed it down for this episode, at least to two major moments. As you said, these are not rankings. There is no order to this. One of them brought me at least for a little while, immense joy and one low key ruined my entire life. And perhaps democracy we'll find out in 2024. So Candace, I'm actually going to give you the choice of which goes first. Would you like good then bad news or just plainly bad news first Ooh, this feels like sophie's choice but Mm
2: i am gonna take
1: good than bad for 500 okay great choice and i have one word for you ocean gate oh my god let's go yes we are talking about the thing i fear the most the ocean. And we're also talking about a company that somehow named itself so effectively for controversy that it almost felt like a joke until it very much was not one. Back in June, a 22 foot long metal tube piloted by a Game Boy controller in the hubris of wealth captured our collective imaginations and reminded us why Billionaires Should Not Exist. I think this was actually one of your very first episodes. It was way back in uh in June, a few weeks mm-hmm. after you started.
2: Yeah, it was. And I'm really glad that you were there to take me into the cavernous mm. tunnels of this mm-hmm. story. It's fascinating.
1: It is. Like I said in that episode, this entire thing involved two of my favorite things in the world rich people antics and being reminded that the ocean is a beautiful mistress that we simply should not bother unless we need to in hindsight i actually started watching a lot of nature documentaries around this time i got real familiar with david Attenborough, and i'm pretty sure that was because oceangate informed me of the existence of the giant squid and the colossal squid which are two different things to be clear two separate (laughs) things
2: (laughs) That is so interesting. And before we get into why OceanGate made your list,
1: could you remind people what happened? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So OceanGate is, was, honestly, unclear what happened to them after this. I can't imagine they're doing well. Anyway, OceanGate is slash was a company that... Led expeditions to places like the wreckage of the Titanic, which is where the Titan, which is the name of the submersible vehicle, was supposed to be taking four paying passengers plus a pilot on June 16th.
2: Mm-hmm. And each passenger paid around like a quarter of a
1: million dollars, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, to sit in a space around the size of a minivan with all the seats removed that had one window. Please be reminded, if you've ever been in a minivan, that there are several windows in a minivan. (laughs) I feel like that's an important reminder here. Another important reminder, Oceangate had been a controversial company for years before this expedition. Also importantly, maybe most importantly, the former CEO, founder, and pilot of Oceangate slash the Titan was married to a Macy's heiress. Mm. Which made it even wilder when another Macy's heir... Singer-songwriter King Princess chimed in about the hubris of billionaires in a now-deleted video. But they did it because they had the money to, and they died. So now these people are
2: like, oh, I have, I have so much money. Oh my God, I just want to go to the in- inhabitable depths of the ocean in a GameCube. No. Dead. Sorry. God. I remember this video, and I was like, You know what? This is the one time I will allow Nepo baby commentary.
1: It was also so funny because the video got deleted. And I wonder if it's because someone texted King Princess like, hey, this is your cousin. (laughs) So the submersible was supposed to ping the big ship that it was launched from every 15 minutes. what was supposed to be about a two hour and 30 minute journey down to the wreckage. And an hour and 45 minutes in, the pinging stopped. As we now know, the submersible imploded at that point because of you know, the immense pressure of the ocean and allegedly shoddy workmanship. But at the time, the loss of contact with the submersible triggered like an international naval search. And theoretically, there were 96 hours of oxygen available on the Titan. And so, as the days go on, news outlets are just sitting here with a little countdown clock. It's like New Year's. They're like 48 hours of oxygen. 24 hours of oxygen, seven hours of oxygen. What's going to happen? And so all throughout these 96-ish hours, we collectively as a society are sitting on the edge of our seat, gaming out what could be happening, wondering how this will end, making fun of rich people's obsession with their only natural predator, the Titanic. And while the end was tragic those 96 hours were truly a testament to how deeply a single story can saturate every part of our lives
2: yeah i think the image i remember most is just the amount of animated reenactments of Mm -hmm. what of what could have possibly happened when it imploded and i was like Uh you guys are guessing i'm guessing but now we're just making animations
1: sure it was one of those increasingly rare moments where my Twitter, my TikTok, my science explainer videos, my New York Times push alerts were all talking about the same thing, which is the physics of an implosion.
0: Cindy, the news is on. Another little white girl
2: that fell down the well. How do you lose There are many reasons why most of the
1: missions to the Titanic are done with remotely operated unmanned vehicles. One of the reasons being humans really aren't meant to be at that depth.
0: They're down at roughly 400 meters or over 12,000 feet. Now at two or 300 meters the pressure is so great that your lungs cannot inflate. Do you have optimism that they are going to be able to find um, this this vessel? No. That's a hard answer to hear.
2: Yeah, and it was just really fascinating to see everyone tracking the story like twenty four seven, finger on the pulse. I won't sleep until it's found. Like mm-hmm. we were,
1: we'll remember this. We'll tell our grandkids for sure. Exactly. It's almost like watching the Wikipedia page you stumble upon at two a.m. playing out on your timeline. You know, it's like if the Donner Party had disappeared in 2023, you know? We would be wondering who ate who. It would be... (laughs) (laughs) We're in edit mode. Exactly. And at the time of this happening, I floated a few different theories as to why this got so big. And I was right, I think. (laughs) I'm doubling down on those theories.
2: You're like, here's my
1: animation. Here's my animation several months later. First, as a culture, nothing captures our attention like people being stuck somewhere they cannot get out of we're all a little bit claustrophobic so whenever something like big Boat Suez so canal happens yeah. or the boys in the cave or balloon boy or timmy in the well happens we're all locked and loaded waiting to see if they're gonna get out mm-hmm. and before the submersible imploded i think i actually you know what let me not speak for anybody else because a lot of y'all actually have science knowledge and immediately knew that they had died i thought That these billionaires were just stuck in a tiny metal tube that was bolted from the outside, floating through the ocean, waiting for somebody to rescue them. And that is objectively wild. Mm -hmm. Second, I truly believe that all of us on some level deep down, maybe biologically, are a little bit obsessed with the ocean. Not enough to go there. But enough to be vaguely curious about anything relating to it. It's scary. It's beautiful. We know less about it than the surface of Mars. Colossal squid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, can I
2: add addendum to this, which is, Rachel, is it maybe your Pisces connection speaking to you?
1: That's entirely likely. Mm -hmm. I I feel a deep kinship with the ocean, but I also, again, I can't swim. So I'm just like, it's respect from a distance, you you know? There you go. And my third reason for why we were all obsessed with this is we love hubris. Like, I'm sorry, but if Elon Musk went up in one of his little SpaceX rockets and exploded on the way there, we'd all cheer. And we know it. It's like jackass, but with people who have too much money.
2: There's definitely something to say about the way that rich people love space and love Mm -hmm. ocean and they Mm -hmm. keep going in when it's like, how about you deal with your workers rights on land? Interesting. Interesting.
1: Okay, I'm just like, there are so many problems on the land, on the earth that we live on that could be fixed with money. Everyone's like, money doesn't make you happier. That's true up to a certain point. But also <laughs> like money can fix a lot of things. Yes. Why are we choosing not to fix those things and instead go explore space or the ocean? Anyway, speaking of jackasses with too much money and also Elon Musk, it's now time for my second biggest moment of the year. hmm and it does involve the slow death of Twitter, which I think a lot of people would pinpoint in late 2022 when he officially bought the platform. But I'm actually going to say, this might be a hot take, I pinpoint it in April 2023 when Elon Musk officially killed the legacy verification program.
2: Mm, okay. And I mean, look, I also lost my blue check but (laughs) i mean are you just
1: salty about losing your blue check as well um i'm not gonna say no i worked really hard to get that you did but i worked really hard slate's pr department worked really hard to get (laughs) me that but i actually think this marked the kind of full heel turn of twitter away from an actually useful platform to one that is basically like payola but (laughs) with the worst people you know. Mm -hmm. You know, some payola programs give us bops. They give us music. But this payola program just gives us Nazis. (sighs) Anyway, before they officially sunsetted legacy verification, Twitter was actually still pretty funny. There was about six months between when Elon bought the platform and when this program ended that things were kind of fun. Like, there was an introduction of paid verification, which was bad, but led to some extremely Funny moments where all you had to do was pay like either $8 or $11 to pretend to be Hillary Clinton or a pharmaceutical company and be verified at the same time. It was so funny. <laughs> exactly. I just have to give
2: a shout out to one of the greatest, let's say, users
1: of this who was Jabuki Young Oh my. Listen salute like <laughs> braver right. than the troops
2: he <laughs> pretended to be everyone including mm-hmm. am i right the fbi yes did that happen? yeah yes.
1: Mm-hmm. yes yes i think he tweeted something about yes we did kill mlk it's oh true. my god
2: yes
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he could and he could and he could because it was allowed on the platform yeah like not technically because he kept getting banned but it was right it was basically allowed <laughs> So that was a really funny moment. I love that rollout. It was just so poorly planned that it was like, yeah, of course, someone's going to pretend to be every single politician or dead person on the planet and say, I'm tweeting from beyond the grave. You can't (laughs) stop me, Elon. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a period where there were, you know, there was both legacy verified accounts and paid verified accounts. So anytime someone who bought Twitter Blue said something stupid, people would just roll up in their replies like this paid for twitter and that was really funny i like that part or there are people who are legacy verified who would loudly say i have not paid for twitter which i think is the funniest thing you can say and is like a great advertisement for a product can you imagine making something rolling it out and then people going out of their way to say i didn't buy this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's what people would call a flop you're right it was a legendary flop Mm-hmm. And the flop continued because there was a period where they finally figured out whatever they needed to do in the back end to get rid of legacy verification. And everyone with the brand was like, I'm good. I can use that $8 for like half of a Starbucks latte with right. inflation, you know, right. including notorious rich person and also notorious cheapskate LeBron James, who was like, I'm not paying for this. Fuck you. Which one of the best And I would say most advantageous parts of Twitter was that it basically induced everyone from me to Mitski to Barack Obama to create content for free for the platform. Like when you think about what Twitter is, it's basically people creating free content for a platform. And Elon Musk was like, no, fuck you. Man, he is like the
2: one person who always gets more eviler than I thought humans could actually be.
1: More eviler, more stupider, just, he, he, he he's just more than any mm. of us could ever have anticipated. And also less. <laughs> but he is also a walking advertisement for the wonderful science of hair plugs. Mm. They work. They're real. What else is real is that finally on 420, because that's who we're dealing with, right. Elon Musk banished all the legacy verification checks. And the only people left with verification were the people who paid for it. The organizations that got a gold check mark just show that it really is, you know, the New York Times tweeting. And I realized that all of this kind of happened before you joined the show. And I don't think I've ever actually asked you for your thoughts and feelings on Twitter.
2: I think I'll just say this, which is that I believe I was still at NPR when the fiasco happened where Elon Musk decided to designate NPR's Twitter account as state media. Oh my god. And watching that internally, you know, I was a producer. I had nothing to do with social media teams. I had no weighing into that conversation. But just watching this happen where Elon Musk decided to basically point their finger at, like, the place you work for was so... Odd, And it did kind of change the way that news is distributed. I believe NPR decided not to use Twitter anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how many more outlets are kind of going to go that same way because of the consequences you've laid out.
1: I mean, it's a fair point. Again, I feel like a lot of us are really just waiting until it reaches a breaking point where it fully becomes unusable. But I do wonder about the utility of that. If,
0: mm.
1: you know, a lot of us stood up and were like, actually, I refuse to be on this platform anymore. Which, to be fair, a lot of people have. Yeah. There are just like a lot of people I follow who have migrated to Blue Sky primarily, which is probably the closest Twitter replacement but it's just not as fun. It has all of the information that Twitter has, but I don't... They don't have the memes, you know? Exactly. And here's
2: here's my line in the
1: sand. I will leave Twitter if, one,
2: they come for Popgrave. If you wow. come from Crave, the closest thing we have <laughs> to a united <laughs> digital waterfront cooler, <laughs> then I'm out. But second, if I come on Twitter and mm-hmm. my fan cams don't play <sighs> oof, it's, oof. War.
1: it's so fair I mean allegedly Elon's gonna start charging us to tweet
2: <sighs> download the fan cams guys download the fan cams archive them, them. yeah <laughs> burn them on a DVD play them in the Blu-ray <laughs> it's over babes
1: project them into the sky like the bat <laughs> signal <laughs> 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 alright now it's time to keep turning the tables To you, Candace, because we're going to dive into your picks for this year's biggest moments online. Do you have any hints for me?
2: Let's just say live reunion. Oh,
1: let's get into it after the break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back. So, Candice, it's your turn. What was one of your biggest moments on the internet this year?
2: So, warning... This one is going to be a little somber, but I promise it has a happy ending, which is May 19th, 2023, when Hank Green posted a video called So I've Got Cancer.
0: Good morning, John. So there have been a bunch of times over the last few weeks when this has become more and more real. Uh, This is the big one, though. So I... Uh, noticed that my lymph nodes were big. I talked to my doctor. She says, probably nothing. We'll send you in for an ultrasound. Got an ultrasound. The tech in the ultrasound room was like, I'm going to go get a doctor. (laughs) That's not what you want to have happen.
2: So... This is the beginning of a 14-ish minute video from the Vlogbrothers channel where Hank Green tells us that he has been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a treatable blood cancer. He tells a story of how he found out, the signs that pushed him to go in for an ultrasound, you know, the good, the bad, the harrowing. And I think this video is so Hank Green, which is another way of saying this is so me because, you know, he drops the news as matter of factly as possible and basically goes to like next steps. He's like, how will this affect work and the channel and the podcast? And he even says he feels like apologizing because Hank, I would say, is one of the founding fathers of YouTube. He and his brother, John Green, who you may know as the author of The Fault in Our Stars, they started this channel in 2007. And it was very simple. It was basically a way for the brothers to keep in touch and update each other on their lives because they lived far away from each other. And surprise, surprise, they grow and they grow. And Rachel, I'm curious, did you ever dive into like the Vlogbrothers world or do you have any relationship to the Greens?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's impossible to be of a certain age and not have an encounter with the Vlogbrothers. Just Mm -hmm. if you're online, on YouTube, on Tumblr, where... Unfortunately, John Green was often a subject of derision. Right, Um, right. (laughs) But I love them. I think that they have managed to really carve out a niche where they explain things to me in terms that feel very understandable, but also aren't condescending. It's like LeVar Burton, but mm, Hmm. two white men.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of align themselves with either John or either Hank, especially Mm. if you, oh, I don't know, didn't love some of John's books, (laughs) but we'll get to that at another day. Anyway... You know, at some point, the Vlogbrothers are like, I would say, the closest thing we have to a four-quadrant YouTube celebrity because they also started Crash Course, which is this fully educational channel that makes animations about anything. Like, I remember in high school, I had a teacher who refused to teach, so he would just (laughs) play their videos all the time.
0: Hi, I'm John Green, and this is Crash Course European History. So, as you'll recall from our previous episode, a declining European population due to disease and war in the 14th century meant that labor had become much more valuable, which shifted long-held beliefs about how society should be organized.
1: And the thing is, these were really good videos. I learned a lot. It's like Bill Nye the Science Guy, but for millennials. Exactly, exactly. And so you might know
2: them from that. You might also know Hank and John because they created VidCon, mm-hmm. which is that huge YouTuber convention that was always obsessed with Joey Graceffa for some reason. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Showing <laughs> Yeah.
2: And of all the things that Hank and John do, I would say VidCon is maybe the most corporate-like or the biggest visibility they have because this is a conference that has expanded internationally. There's a VidCon Abu Dhabi, and at this point, the Vlogbrothers are like beyond YouTube famous. I would even say they are titans of the industry.
1: I think what's incredible about them is that it's actually very rare for online creators to have managed to successfully survive multiple online eras. Yes. And I think both Hank and John, but mostly Hank, has really managed to pivot in a lot of ways but that feel very true to him like I wasn't surprised when I would see his videos on TikTok and they had the exact same vibe as those videos I would watch on YouTube in 2010 and I really do forget that they started VidCon every single Mm -hmm, time I'm reminded mm -hmm. of it I'm just like that was so smart I'm so surprised some large corporation didn't do this and also my god how much money do they make off of that like how rich are they
2: yeah. I mean, I would love to get those tax returns. And I think you're right, which is that VidCon seems like something that was started by Scooter Braun. It no, exactly. It seems like a little tainted. But the thing is, Hank and John have always kind of seen themselves as the anti-Scooter Braun. And their whole thing about VidCon is it's about community. And so... You know, we come back to May of this year when Hank releases the video and the outpouring of love for him just really broke something like wide open for me because I just forgot how loved they were and how many people Mm -hmm. cared. And so many people were deeply devastated by this. I remember someone tweeting Hank Green has cancer and I'm ready to yell at God. Same. Mm -hmm. I read another tweet that was like learning that Hank Green has cancer was perhaps one of the most devastating news of 2023, which I'm affirming by Mm -hmm. including it in this episode. And what the residents of Nerdfighteria, that is their community, know about Hank is that he's someone who tries to make light of any situation. Very silver linings. So... It's not surprising that Hank tries to infuse, like, jokes and humor into this video. At the end of it, he says he only has two requests for his audience, which are first. Don't give him healthcare advice, which, low
1: key,
2: <laughs> let's Stop doing that in that. general. <laughs> let's spread that around to be on Hank, okay? Mm-hmm. Second, he asks to just share any recs for movies and tv shows and video games that are not heavy at all and he basically just wants dumb things that could not make anyone cry
1: which i feel like is really good advice and also a great request and i also think the outpouring that you're talking about really does speak to the way that he has managed to have this really long online internet career Mm -hmm. like people grew up with him
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Hank and John—I call them the founding fathers. I would also say, just like age-wise, they're kind of also like our brothers. Mm-hmm. So you see them grow up over a decade. You see them go through like hard stuff. And I think, like, if you think people have parasocial relationships with the Try Guys, I'd really, mm. I'd really investigate the Vlog Brothers and the hold they have on our culture as well. It's true, but you know, Hank is someone who works hard and has always spoken about how grateful he is for this community, that he's grateful that people even care what he has to say. He also acknowledges in this video that he can't put out the same amount of podcasts and videos and things like that because, as he says, this is his full-time job now. So there's kind of this expectation that Hank may not be on camera for a while.
1: Mm -hmm. But importantly, this is Hank Green, guys. He's not going to leave the internet hanging. He has been out here.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, for the next few months, Hank details his cancer journey. And he brings us into his life and his struggle and the ups and downs. You know, he shaves his head and he talks about radiation therapy. He comes through with a gift guide for cancer patients. and. One of my favorite videos of his during this time is called My Cancer Press Tier List, where he ranks the mainstream news coverage of his cancer diagnosis. New York Times,
0: Uh, I like this headline, Hank Green novelist and YouTube star. Not even author, novelist. Also, no scare quotes, it says treatable cancer. Great, love that. Now, John, you do make an early appearance in paragraph number three, but then they go on to give me two full paragraphs about my books, which... Mm, fantastic love that i'm gonna give that an a
1: i just love that so much like it's just so him in that i learned a lot it's also making fun of both like himself and the world and the news and media in general which we love to do all the time we do
2: and i think this video just highlights hank's desire to proceed as upbeat as possible and something I also enjoyed about the channel during this time is that John is like his actual brother and he Mm -hmm. loves Hank and watching him process this journey is also an interesting lens into something that is scary and very talked around but not about Mm. and so it made me appreciate the fact that these are two brothers who actually like and love each other even after all this massive success that very easily could have ripped them apart.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you mentioned the Try Guys, and they very famously had a falling out that mm-hmm. could have been on this list, honestly. But Hank and John have managed to last and last in a way that, again, has felt genuine for their entire time online. There's never been a moment where I've really been like, this is just for the cameras. Right. And you said there's a happy ending.
2: I did. So on August 21st, Hank Green tweeted that after his first post-treatment follow-up with his oncologist, he is officially in complete remission. And the crowd cheered with glee. Uh, Just for context, according to the National Cancer Institute, this means that all signs and symptoms of cancer have disappeared. Hank acknowledges that the journey isn't completely over yet because they're going to do another scan in three months. They have to keep a close eye on it for two years. Some doctors consider you cured if you are in complete remission for five years or more. But hearing this news felt... Like a sigh of relief for Nerdfighteria and mm-hmm. just anyone who has been impacted by Hank and all those AP Euro videos.
1: <laughs> and I guess, how would you describe Hank's presence online nowadays in the kind of months since he posted his remission news?
2: Mm hmm. Well, I think Hank, with the support of John, is still trying to take this easy and kind of slowly integrate back into his, you know, original work schedule, but... I appreciate this recognition that you don't just magically go back to normalcy once you're in remission. You know, he's mm-hmm. been posting videos about growing a beard after chemo. And then he's also posting videos about geoengineering and the United Nations. Of course. And so he's kind of like acknowledging the world, but also himself still. And at the end of the day, I I think it's safe to say Nerdfighteria is doing well. And we still love Hank. John, you're okay for now. (laughs) Let's see what that next book brings.
1: (laughs) We'll see what the Looking for Alaska adaptation Mm -mm. brings. (laughs) Mm. So, Candace, our last moment, your last internet moment of the year, for this episode at least, is something we covered on the show. Something I remember quite clearly. Something that has given me a little bit A ptsd Mm. and it has something to do with love perhaps love being blind maybe that's right
2: because Mm. listeners i want to take us to april 16th 2023 Mm. also known as the love is blind live reunion
0: we actually have no idea what's going to go down at this reunion you know why because we're doing it
2: live
1: That's right, the first live reunion in the history of Netflix. That means... Anything could happen.
0: Literally anything. And when it does, we will be just as shocked as you are. So,
2: I find this trailer for the reunion so creepy. Because (laughs) could Nick and Vanessa Lachey have predicted Netflix's servers crashing? Could they have predicted an emergency IT request? I mean, did they see a Twitter uprising over a reunion?
1: I mean, clearly not, though it feels like they accidentally foretold that something was going to happen. And the thing is, I love that you picked this moment because, if I'm correct, you're not a love is blind person.
2: No, I'm not. And so (laughs) the fact that I even know about this, that I was refreshing my feed Mm -hmm. on April 16th from 8 to 9 p.m. ET, it proves that this moment was that girl. Mm -hmm. So just to set the scene Love is Blind, Netflix reality dating show where 30 or so men and women are holed up in these pods. They go on these little dates. They talk through walls, but they can't see each other. If they pair up with someone, they reveal their corporeal beings. And they basically move in together, fight with each other, all that stuff. And at the end of the show, they all convene in what looks like the conference room of a Ramada Inn, and <laughs> they walk up the aisle for a supposed wedding. Mm-hmm. But at the altar, they individually have to say whether they're like, I do or I don't. So, we jump to April 16th, when Netflix decided to air a live reunion special following the fourth season of Love is Blind. Rachel, this is where I tap you. Okay, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Were you looking forward to this one? Like, was this season worth a reunion? Yes,
1: I would say this was the best season of Love is Blind besides the very first season. This was the season where it had everything we could possibly need from Love is Blind, which is real love, Mm. couples that we're genuinely rooting for, and also drama, absolute chaos. Some of the most noxious personalities I've ever seen on television until Love is Blind season five.
2: Exactly. And so as you can tell... People are getting ready, okay? Mm -hmm. The wires are plugged in. The laptops are open. The popcorn is popped. Yes. Apparently, there was a little waiting room message that said, it's almost time. The live event will start soon. And then Mm -hmm. the clock, it strikes eight. And there is no reunion to speak of. Instead, there's an error message. It says, there's an issue with the live stream. Hang tight. We're trying to fix it as soon as possible. You refresh the page. Still an error message. You sign in, sign out, restart the laptop, reboot the router. And yet, no Nick, no Vanessa, no Lachey. And just like when there's an earthquake in LA, you go to Twitter and you find out you're not alone because for the next hour, the internet is blowing up. They're saying, did you also get an error message? Oh my God, where's the reunion? I can't believe this is happening. And Rachel, as someone who was in the zone during this time. Were you personally surprised by this outrage? Because it felt tense, like more tense than waiting for Trump's mugshot. Mm-hmm.
1: It it was tense. I have honestly never been more stressed in my life. That's a lie. I have been. I'm not going to be that dramatic, but it was <laughs> wild. It's just imagine sitting at home in front of your television and you're looking at a screen and you're, you're wondering what's going on. And then you get on Twitter and everyone else is saying, what's going on? And then you leave and you think if you come back, okay, I'll be okay. But there's actually a waiting room. You can get kicked out. And so you're on Twitter and you're like, okay, I actually need to stay on this page. And then, you know, 15 minutes pass, 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass, 40 minutes pass. You already ordered and ate all of the food that you were planning <laughs> to eat during this live reunion. 60 minutes pass. Yeah. You're just sitting here like, what do I do now? Is it ever happening? Is it ever coming?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It is
2: like going to the polls. People yes. telling you to stay in stay line. Stay in line. Next <laughs> thing you know, they're saying the election is canceled.
1: It was giving me flashbacks to 2020 when we just didn't know who was president for weeks.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, like, there were definitely theories being floated around like, oh, maybe this cast member was late. Maybe they refused to be on camera. Maybe the servers (laughs) got overwhelmed. And not that this totally helped Vanessa Lachey. She does go on Instagram Live during this. And she kind of infers that this is like a technical issue, not like a physical issue because... It looks like everyone's there and ready to go. So what is happening?
1: hmm And a quick reminder, this was to air Sunday at 8 p.m. You know what's happening at 9 p.m.? Succession. This was before I tapped in, so I really was like, oh, I don't care what the fuck anyone else is watching right now. <laughs> like, I'm staying here. Like, Vanessa, what if I want to change the channel? Is the live reunion going to be posted on Netflix at some point? How am I going to watch this? Exactly, exactly. And
2: at 9.29 p.m., Netflix, they tweet to everyone who stayed up late, woke up early, gave their Sunday afternoon. We are incredibly sorry that the Love is Blind live reunion did not turn out as we had planned. We're filming it now and we'll have it on Netflix as soon as humanely possible. Again, thank you and sorry.
1: <laughs> stunning. Absolutely stunning. <laughs>
2: Wild. So by 1.40 a.m., Netflix calls their time of death. And they mm-hmm. tweet that the reunion will be available globally the next day at three pm. So the reunion does eventually happen, just asking Rachel,
1: was it was it good? Was it worth it? No, ok. There's <laughs> never any point of doing a live reunion because importantly, reunions, the most well-known reunions are real Housewives reunions, right they, Taped for 13 hours to yes. get you the most dramatic moments possible. When filming is taped live, it means they only have an hour with all the cast members, so you don't get most of your questions answered.
2: That's true. And those Real Housewives reunions are edited pretty heavily. So imagine mm-hmm. an unedited version of people who are not actually reality stars just throwing jabs in the presence of Nick and Vanessa Lachey. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Apparently, when the reunion does upload, it literally starts with Vanessa Lachey acknowledging, we are no longer live. We are now mm-hmm. finally here. And I'm like, all right, congrats to you for that rewrite. But <laughs> it's too late. The damage is done. The hashtag love is late. It's been trending on Twitter. And for mm-hmm. me... The nail in the coffin was Netflix themselves going on to doom which is a site they own. And under the FAQ section, which asks, how do I watch Love is Blind, the live reunion? Their best answer is just like getting engaged to someone's site unseen, going live can be slightly unpredictable.
1: I don't like when companies fuck up and try to make a joke out of it. Yeah, Just say sorry. You wasted yeah. my time. And I would say this was a monoculture event for Twitter because all the tweets were good. I think if this happened right now, I wouldn't know what people thought about it until 20 hours afterwards because of the way the Twitter algorithm works. Right. right. I remember one tweet from Katie Delaney who wrote, Netflix fucking up this love is blind reunion so badly has forced me to sit silently and reflect on my life for the last 23 minutes. And I do not like what I'm seeing. Same. Absolute same. same. I was sitting in front of my laptop just like, how did I get here?
2: How dare you take away my scheduled dissociation time? (laughs) Exactly. What I took away from this absolute catastrophe of ITT Technical Institute proportions is that Netflix does not know what they are doing at Mm -hmm. all. And while they keep seeing themselves as, like, the future of television, they are not that good at acknowledging or mastering the history of television because live Mm -hmm. events are not a new concept. News, sports, Saturday Night Live, these are live broadcasts that happen daily, weekly, with no technical hiccups because NBC, ABC, cbs the big boys they have done this for decades on decades and this was kind of the first hole for me in terms of realizing netflix is a flawed industry leader Mm -hmm. and it made me think okay is netflix really the right replacement for network tv and cable award shows things like that are streaming services actually going to meet that criteria when it comes to having the wires plugged in and their mm-hmm. servers properly functioning when it's time to hit the mat. I just think Netflix really lost their credibility that day.
1: And the thing is, this was a dry run for them. This was them trying to prove to the world, yes, you can give us that contract to the Super Bowl and we will be okay. Yes, we will air the live finale of American Idol and everyone will see who won. (laughs) And they proved they cannot do it. They shat the bed so badly. It was honestly kind of incredible. They shattered harder than Kendall Roy,
2: okay? (laughs) And something else I want to know. After this flop, Mm -hmm. the WGA strike begins in May. Then the SAG strike begins in July. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest bads in both those negotiations was Netflix, who let writers and actors strike because they thought, "Mm, we don't need them. We -hmm. have a catalog of love is blinds and selling sunsets to get us through the year. And... I think the live reunion was this like precursory warning to Netflix and the studios that reality TV can't save you and your underestimation of how long the writers and actors will strike until they reach a fair deal proves that you don't know what you're doing you don't understand supply and demand because if you did you'd beef up the servers you'd know that a lot of people would be paying attention to the season 4 live reunion of Love is Blind and Netflix (laughs) you ain't shit that's it
1: (sighs) So those were the biggest internet moments of the year, according to us. And you might be wondering, Rachel, Candace, y'all said there were five moments, but I only counted four. And to y'all, I would say congratulations. You paid attention to Sesame Street. Alma will be proud.
0: Mm.
1: Well, after some internal discussions, we decided that moment number one was too big for a segment. So... You're going to have to wait until Saturday when we do a full episode on our number one internet moment of the year. And to hold you over, we'll give you a hint. It's something we didn't cover on the show. All right, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday with an extra special episode of our number one internet moment of the year. So definitely subscribe. it's the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com.
2: ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley Bricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's Vice President of Audio. See you online. Or under the sea